We live in a world full of implications, don't we? Some of these implications are easy to see and easy to pick up on, easy to read, and others are a little more difficult. Let's start with a few examples this morning. If you're driving on the highway and you seem to be passing every single car that's in front of you, the implication is you're going a little too fast. Or if you are tired and work every day, you get to work and you're tired, the implication is you might need to go to bed earlier or you probably have a toddler that's keeping you up at home. Or if you bring home your report card and your grades are lower than what you like, the implication is you should probably study in the classes which you aren't doing as good as you'd like. Let's start having you fill in some of these implications here. Fill in the blanks. If your stomach starts growling, you, you're probably hungry. You might need to eat something. If your lips start to crack and start to bleed, you, chapstick. You chapstick. You might need to put some chapstick on. If your dog is barking by the door, then you, what's that? You, you might need to feed him. Yeah, or you might need to take it outside. I don't know your dog as well as you do. One of those things, your dog wants something from you. Maybe the dog's just waiting for you to come back. Or if your st- car starts making funny noises, then? Mechanic. Yeah, mechanic. <laughs> you should probably get your car checked out by someone who knows what's going on with cars. You guys are getting pretty good at this, which is great. Because this morning we're going to be looking at present implications. As we look at Paul's letter to the Philippians here in Philippians chapter 3, he's writing about his testimony here. And he's not writing his testimony so that everybody can look at Paul and say, Paul, you're such a great guy. But instead, as it says, as he writes in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says this, Brethren, join in following my example. Paul's writing to give us an example. So what kind of implications does Paul's testimony have for us today? This morning, as I read Philippians 3, I'd invite you to stand out of respect for God's word, but also to try to pick out these implications. As I read Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 16, reading in Jesus' name. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, Let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray, Lord, that you would work through your word in us this morning. Open our hearts to receive the message that you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
The first section of our text focuses on one thing. Paul has one thing in his sights. He has one thing on his mind, and he says, Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, had its implications for Paul. And he shares with us what these implications mean. What does it mean to know Christ as Lord for Paul and for all of his accomplishments? If there was ever a righteous guy to walk on this earth, it was Paul. We see Paul. Paul goes in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3. He talks about all of the things that he has done, all the good things that he has, all the things that he can be proud about and say, I come from a good family. I'm a Jew of Jews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm the best there ever was. And he says here in verse 6, it says, As to the righteousness which is, found, which is in the law, found blameless. Paul's whole life has been devoted and dedicated to following this law, so much so that he says, No one could point a finger at me and say I stumbled in one thing. Paul says, In the law I was found to be blameless in the eyes of men. No one could look at Paul and say, Paul, you need something to work on here. But what does Paul do with that claim? Not one of us here this morning can make that claim, can we? If we're honest with ourselves, we can't. But Paul doesn't hold any confidence in that claim. What does verse 7 and 8 say? He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. His whole life, Paul had been working and trying to earn himself a firm foundation, something that he can stand upon when he stands before God at the end of time and says, God, this is why you should let me into heaven. Look at all these good things that I've done. I've listened to you. I've obeyed you. I've been righteous. I've fulfilled the law perfectly. All his life, he's tied down to the law, following it, observing it, obsessing over it, to the point that if anyone came up to Paul and told him otherwise, or if anyone came up to Paul and told Paul, you know, Paul, it's not about following the law, what would Paul do? He would go after them, put them in prison, or approve of their death, which he did to Acts or to Stephen in Acts. This is what Paul did before he knew Christ as his Savior. But having come to know Christ as his Savior, instead his sight is no longer on being righteous and fulfilling this law anymore. Instead, what does he say this has become to him? Rubbish. It's become rubbish in his sight. That word rubbish is dung. For those of you who are farmers, this is not the kind that you buy from another person to put on your field to fertilize it. This dung is worthless. It doesn't do you any good. It's good for nothing. Everything that Paul had worked towards in his life, he counts as loss. He counts it as good as dung for one reason. He just wants to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. This is the most important thing to Paul. And as I glanced over this text earlier, my first thought is, okay. So Paul says these things, and then he says, I counted all his loss, just so that he says, I don't boast in these things. I'm, I'm not going to boast in this. And that's my background, coming from growing up in a church, from knowing God's word from a small age, my 21st century insight into this text. That's what I bring to this. But for Paul, it meant so much more. 
Paul wasn't just getting rid of whatever it was that he could boast in. Paul was getting rid of everything that he knew, everything that he lived by, all these laws that he subjected himself to. He turns his back on it. All these years of fulfilling the law and trying to be righteous, trying to be the best person that he could be, Paul says, that's null and void. It's worthless. A lifetime of building up his character, his righteousness, his facade to fool everyone that he was righteous. In the eyes of man, and he says now, it's worth nothing. The other Jewish kids that Paul would have grown up with, his schoolmates, the ones that he went to school to be with, the ones that studied to be a Pharisee together with him, his friends, his best friends that he grew up with. Now Paul says, I count that as loss. I'm walking away from those friendships so that I can know Christ, that I may be found in him. His friends have disowned him because no longer is Paul the Pharisee that he used to be. Paul is now a Christian. And they didn't get along all that well. Paul isn't just leaving his boasting rights behind. He's not just counting his background as rubbish. He's leaving everything. For what purpose? For what reason? So that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul counts this as loss. He counts as rubbish his righteousness, all of his good works, all the things that he had been doing in his past, all the things that he was basing his hope on before, the things that he thought were leading him to perfection, were leaving, leading him to lead the life that God wanted him to lead. And they ended up leading Paul away from perfection. They ended up instead leading Paul away from God. They only gave him the false assurance that he was righteous the false hope that everything was going to be okay because he worked hard enough. Instead, he finds his source of righteousness in something else, in someone else, in something completely other. Not in his work, but the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, through faith in Christ. This is the righteousness of Christ and when Paul writes about the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and being found in Christ, he's knowing that he's no longer judged on his actions. It's no longer about his performance anymore, but he is judged on the basis of Christ and Christ's actions. He has a righteousness which comes from God, which is perfect and complete, and it's not his own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ, which comes to him by faith. So what's the implication of our righteousness coming from God by faith. It means you don't add to it. It means you can't add to it. It means that you will never be more righteous in God's sight than you are right now or when you first gave your life to Christ. Because in that moment, you're no longer judged on your actions, but you are judged on Christ. And God gives you his righteousness. In the eyes of a holy and just God, you are counted as righteous. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't look at your failures and your imperfections anymore. They've been taken care of by Christ. And Jesus says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. And all God sees now is the perfection of his son, the merits of Christ. 
when we realize the beauty and the freedom that this truth brings, it's easy for us to lay aside whatever backgrounds we come from, to lay aside whatever things we want to hang our hats on and say, look at where I've come from, look at what I've done with my life, and say, this is loss because I've been given a righteousness which is perfect and complete, found in Christ, not based on me and my actions. And everything that we've ever done to earn our righteousness, all of a sudden, like Paul, becomes rubbish in our sight. And when we realize that our righteousness comes from Christ and not from ourselves and our works, it makes it easier for us to look at others and to see, I'm no better than you. I'm no better than anybody else because I'm a sinner who is saved by grace. And I'm not righteous because of my actions or what I've done. I'm righteous because of Christ and what Christ has done for me. And what Christ has done for me is the same thing that Christ has done for every person who ever lived here on this earth. He died for them and gave himself up for them. The moment that we think our works add anything to the righteousness found in Christ or the moment that we think that we must earn it, even if it's just the tiniest of fractions, it says that Christ isn't enough. When we say that Christ isn't enough, that's a huge, huge problem. And if we are to be judged on a righteousness, on any righteousness other than the righteousness of Christ, we are without hope. But when Christ Jesus is our Lord, when we are found in him, when we are united with him, he counts us as righteous for the sake of Christ. This is the present implication of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, that now as you are found in him, you are counted as righteous, perfect, pure, and holy. And you are as righteous in God's sight now as you ever will be. Paul writes earlier in 2 Corinthians that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. This isn't something that we do. It's not something that we earn. It's something that God has given to us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We're no longer judged on our actions and our performance, but we're judged on Christ and his actions and performance. And the present implication is as we continue in this life by faith in Christ, we may attain the resurrection of the dead. When God calls us home, we'll be, brought, we'll be brought to live with him forever. Not because we've earned it, but because Christ earned it for you. And after basking in the beauty of Christ and his righteousness, and after Paul says how much better it is to be found in Christ than anything this world has to offer, Paul says something that doesn't line up with what he was just saying. In verse 12, what is it that Paul says here? He's just talking about how as we're found in Christ, we don't grow anymore in righteousness because Christ's righteousness doesn't grow or lessen over time. It's constant, it's complete, it's perfect. But verse 12, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. These are the words of Paul. This is Paul's testimony here. You know, the one who wrote half the books in the New Testament. This is Paul saying, I haven't yet arrived yet. 
I haven't been made perfect yet. The one who is shipwrecked, the one who has suffered, the one who is imprisoned for the sake of the gospel is coming and saying, I have not reached perfection yet, but I keep on striving and I keep on pushing on and pressing on. He goes on to talk about his efforts of trying to grab onto, trying to reach, pressing on toward the goal, straining for these things. The words that he used here are athletic words. Just like the athletes who are getting ready to head to South Korea in a couple of days or a couple of weeks to represent their country in the sport that they are one of the best in the world at. They eat, sleep, dream, train, think, work towards this event, towards this goal of being an Olympic athlete. They didn't just wake up yesterday and decide, today I'm going to be an Olympic athlete. It was something that they worked towards, something that they sacrificed for, something that was a prize that they worked for daily. Paul here is saying that this is how he is living his Christian life. I'm striving daily for the goal. I'm daily working towards the prize, daily sacrificing for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's working at it. So the question comes, which one is it? Are we righteous because of Christ, or is there more work that we need to do? Are we righteous because of Christ, or is there more work we need to do? And the simple answer to that question, well, first of all, that question's invalid. It's two different questions. But the two different questions has the same answer. Yes, you are righteous for the sake of Christ, and you will never grow more in that righteousness. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have a long way to go before we're righteous, right? In our own sight, in our own eyes, there's still sin in our lives that we need to die to daily. Selfishness, pride, idolatry, envy, strife, lust, gossip, slander. The list goes on and on and on, and you can add more to these things, just to name a few. You still struggle with these things? Yeah, I do too. There's still more work that needs to be done. Just because we're no longer judged by our actions doesn't mean that our actions now mean nothing. We still sin. We still fall short, and we still need to repent and believe in Christ. At the beginning of Luther's 95 Theses, the first one starts out like this. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. It's not something that you did back in the day when you were 13 years old, and now because of that, you're good to go. You can live however you want to live. It's a daily confession and repentance. It's a daily trusting in Jesus Christ. It's a daily coming to him. And we never reach this place where we have arrived and we're completely righteous in this life, in the eyes of men, until God calls us home when he delivers us from this body of death. In the meantime, he calls us to keep pressing on. That God calls us to continue to pursue holiness and to continue to grow in it, to work towards this, to strive towards it. Hearing that you are righteous in Christ can lead to one of two results. It can lead you to complacency. It can lead you to say, I'm forgiven in Christ, and now what I do no longer matters. It doesn't matter. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to pray. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to do any of these things because these things don't save me. Well, there is truth in that these things don't save me. Our actions don't save us. That is a terrible, terrible error because God's word speaks otherwise. That leads you to complacency. That leads you in danger of losing your salvation. 
Or the second result is it can lead you to grateful obedience and to motivation to strive to live another day free of yesterday's failures and and imperfections and live another day striving to please Christ, striving to be more and more like him. This is what Paul does. This is what Paul says he's doing, pressing on towards the prize, striving after it, seeking after it. The moment we become arrogant in our own efforts, we've lost it. When we become prideful over how far we've come, over how different our life is now, over what it was back then, our eyes are no longer on the prize. Paul says here, forgetting what lies behind, I press on towards what lies ahead. Just like the Olympic athletes don't say, five years ago I was a national champion, I can coast this year and the next five years and I'll compete in the next Olympic Games. They forget what lies ahead. And they keep training and striving on, reaching for that goal. Paul doesn't keep pointing back to the things that he's given up for Christ. He says, that's rubbish. I'm done with that. I'm through with that. That I may be found in Christ and know him as my Savior. We need to stay focused on the prize and not place our confidence in ourselves. Allow me to give an example. When I was in middle school, I was in track. I was terrible at it, so they stuck me in the long distance. But one of my teammates was really good. He was a great mile runner. He had endurance. He was like a horse. And as one day as we're sitting there at the starting line, the gun goes off and we start running this race. The good runners are out in front and I'm in the back watching this from behind. And we start running. The good runners are out in front and they get into a pace. They're coasting for the first lap, the second lap. They start the third lap and the pace picks up just a little bit. They're starting to vie for position. And as Tag begins to pick up his pace, People in front of him are picking up their pace, not wanting to be passed by him. Going into the third corner, all of a sudden, Tag just drops it, pushes the pedal to the metal, and takes off on a dead sprint. And all the other runners are confused, thinking he's going to die. He can't maintain this. And Tag crosses the finish line 20 meters ahead of anybody else. And he gets off and he's standing like this, celebrating in his victory, his dominating performance. Meanwhile, coaches and teammates are saying, Tag, there's still another lap to go. (laughs) But in his excitement, in his joy, in his celebration, Tag stepped off the track. And when you step off the track, you're disqualified. All of that work, all of those hard-earned three laps are all for naught. For tag. He doesn't even get a time. He just gets a DQ by his name. When we lose sight of Christ, we're disqualified from the race. Don't lose sight of the goal. Don't quit running the race. As we continue to try to live as God has instructed us to live, as he says in his words, you are no longer slaves to sin, but instead slaves to righteousness, serving him and obeying his commands. We'll continue to face the fact that we haven't lived up to his standards. Continue to face the fact that I still fall short, I still struggle with sin. Confess it, repent of it, turn your back on that sin and continue to strive towards Christ and know that we are forgiven and rest in the righteousness of Christ for you. But get up and keep striving. Paul writes in Romans, are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? He says, may it never be. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Yes, we are righteous for the sake of Christ. And being found in him has present implications for how we are to live our lives. 
Paul also writes, living our lives worthy of the calling with which we have been given. God still calls us to purity. He still calls us to holiness. He still calls us to forsake all sin. We shouldn't live as those who have arrived at the prize while the race is still going on. We don't step off the track in order to get disqualified either, but we press on towards the prize in Christ, confessing and forsaking sin, seeking to lay hold of the Savior, studying for what he has revealed about himself and his word so that we can know him and be found in him, not because of our actions, but because of what Christ has done. And the more that we know Christ, the more we realize how much we desperately need his grace. The more we realize we need his grace, the more we hold on to the righteousness of Christ, which is perfect and complete, and which is ours by faith in Christ. And the more we hold on to his righteousness, the more we desire to live as he has called us to live, pure and holy. The present implications of being found in Christ is that, yes, we are righteous now because of Christ. In God's sight, we are righteous. The present implications as we look at our own lives is, yes, I have a long way to go. And so let us press on with Paul, keeping in sight the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As Paul writes in Philippians 1, verse 6, And God who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let us hold on and chase after this goal with hope, knowing that God will take us there. Not because we've earned it, but because he has given it to us in Christ. So press on. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that we are righteous because of your actions and what you have done. Thank you, God, that you no longer judge us on what we've done or on our performance, but you judge us on Christ's performance, that we can be found in him righteous. Thank you for allowing us to know you as our Lord and our Savior. And Jesus, as we look at our own lives, we see that there's still sin that we struggle with. Help us not to be complacent. Help us not to just give up, but continue to die to sin daily, to continue to confess that and repent of that, and to come back to you on our knees, Lord where there is forgiveness of sin. We praise you for that. God, I pray that you would help us to press on, give us the strength and endurance to wake up each morning, striving to live more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.